When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello, I am Matt Williamson. This episode is brought to you by Live Casino. You know what time it is? It's time for football and time to jump into the action at FanDuel Sportsbook and lounge at Live Casino. Bet on your favorite teams at our self-service kiosk and sit back and watch the players duke it out on the field on our massive 40-foot video wall. Bet, watch, and win at Live Casino Pittsburgh, Route 30 at the Westmoreland Mall. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And what we got in store today, I'll be honest, is a little bit of a hodgepodge of little things I wanted to bring up. Um, Not a real strict plan here, but I do want to preface this by tomorrow. Uh, I think we're going to finish up the bye week and we're going to go offense one day, defense the next day. And I want to talk about all the prevalent you know, players on the team and has there is my thoughts on them improved, stayed the same, declined since the, the day the season opened before we saw any live real season action. So we'll kind of do a state of the offense, state of the defense, player by player. Boy, this guy was better than I thought. Boy, this guy's I was expecting way better than that. That type of thing the next two days. But in the meantime, and I know I'm recording this actually at 1 o'clock p.m. on Tuesday when the trade deadline is three hours away. Uh, Hawkinson just went to the Vikings, a, a move I think makes a lot of sense for both teams, accumulating picks. Bears and Lions are really accumulating picks. Uh, Roquan Smith goes to the, the Ravens. And maybe we'll start there. I was actually going to start with the Steeler Nugget, but I want to talk about... This, uh, the Baltimore Ravens situation, as well as the division a little bit. That loss by the Bengals last night, again, I'm taping this on Tuesday, was ugly. I mean, that looked like beginning of the season Bengals. No running game whatsoever. Burrowed getting abused. This, quote, rebuild offensive line was horrendous. Burrow didn't play particularly well. Jamar Chase was missed. They had some key defensive injuries during that game, including a Wouzier. Uh, they, you know, they were playing Hill, the first-round pick, at corner, even though he's a safety. Um, so the Bengals are in a bad spot right now. And I thought, I'll be honest, and boy, was I wrong. Not only did I think they were going to beat the Brownies last night, but I thought they might be one of the one of several teams, Vikings, Cowboys, Niners, that might be that fourth best team in the league. Of course, behind Bills and Eagles, we saw them in action, and the Chiefs. Can't look at the Bengals the same way. I mean, I know it's just one game, but they got slaughtered. So they're in a bad spot. Um, It's a huge win for the Browns. I'll be honest, I still think their season's basically over. They're three and five, but Steeler fans, how much different does three and five look than two and six? I mean, it seems like a cavernous change. But 
you know, three and five, you're one game, you know, you looks like you look at it like, oh, you know, we're right under 500, where two and six is like season shot. So that's where those two teams are at, Browns and Steelers, of course. Um, Brissett played great. Amari Cooper played great. Miles um, Garrett was phenomenal. They dominated both lines of scrimmage. But we'll see, and, and maybe we'll have some trade deadline stuff to discuss. I don't think there'll be any Steeler stuff, but that could change my plans for tomorrow. If so, um, if they do move Claypool or Rudolph or whoever, I'm certainly going to mention it. Don't get me wrong. But I wonder, even with the Browns win, I bet they trade Kareem Hunt or you know make some moves too. I, I don't think they're in it to win it still this year, even with Watson coming back. Um, this, but back to Roquan to the Ravens. He's not Ray Lewis. I mean, I mean, obviously, but this team stresses linebackers since Lewis. They've been with great ones. They want a leader in the middle of the defense. That has not been Queen from LSU. Um, I've told you this many times, and uh, I think there's that we've definitely had this conversation. And there's an article on the site way back when that was focused around Devin Bush. But it's amazing the number of highly touted, highly drafted linebackers that are really up and down and mostly down for the majority of their first couple of years in the league. You know, everyone talks about, boy, the Steelers, Devin White's so much better than Devin Bush. He is, but he has a lot of negative plays, too. And Roquan's not much different. I think he's starting to turn his turn the corner a little bit. But I retweeted this from Pro Football Focus that Roquan Smith is a positive Positively graded play. I'm sorry. Smith has more positively graded plays than any linebacker other than Bobby Wagner, who's awesome, over the past three regular seasons. That's awesome. He also has the second most negatively graded plays. I think he's becoming, I don't say a man, but maybe he's in like the late adolescence of his development now. You know, he's no longer a child that gets just manipulated with play action and motion. So I think he's turning a corner. And I would say the second level of Baltimore's defense was their weakest area. So he is a very welcome addition. Um, they obviously think they're a contender. I tend to agree with them. I think they might have a strong case to be that fourth team in the league, but whoever's four is a distant four. Um, and a couple nuggets here, too, is they gave up a second and a fifth. So I don't know what their comp situation is, comp pick situation is this year. But they always have a ton of them. They probably have four fifth round picks or are about to get them and, you know, comp picked anyways. So that doesn't matter. Their second um, is probably a late one. They're probably looking at that as the 55th pick overall or something like that. Uh, I get that. But hey, you're trying to win it this year. And I think they have uh, a, a decent chance to make noise in the playoffs. Um, and not to mention, but here's the stick the, the kicker, though, is Smith. The Bears weren't going to resign Smith. So anything they can get for him is great. They need every pick they can get. Fine. Um, Smith wants to make like 20 million a year, though. He wants to reset the market of off the ball linebackers. I don't think he's worth that, but he does. And so do the Ravens or are they going to look at him for the rest of the year, make their decision? Should they extend him? Maybe you franchise him for a year. But even if they decide, hey, he's not worth the money, he's a good player, not a great player. It costs them a fifth and a second to take a shot this year. And then Smith, as, as the Ravens always do, will leave and he'll get a huge contract somewhere. And then a year from now, the Ravens will get a third round pick in return in the comp game. So it's not a huge risk for Baltimore. Um, 
and here's the deal. Here's where I've been wanting to get to this whole conversation is since he losing last night, it's not so much the Browns winning. I don't think they're in it. And the Ravens winning to start the week, Thursday night in Tampa, I think is a cataclysmic shift in the division. And here's why is the Ravens are five and three at the moment. Getting that win on Thursday night was massive for them because they lost Andrews in that game. They lost Bateman in that game, but they don't play again until Monday night in New Orleans, who, by the way, after that game, it'll be a tough game against the Ravens. will have a short week to come to Pittsburgh, who's coming off their bye. So Steelers are on a bye. Baltimore's in New Orleans Monday night. So here's where I'm going with this is the the Saints after that game are going to have a very short week and then a road trip against a team coming off a bye. The Ravens are not, they're getting a mini bye now having played Thursday and then waiting all the way until Monday so they can get Bateman and Andrews and some of their other guys, Stanley, a lot, you know, Dobbins, you know, can get a lot more rest that, that is needed. They only play one game in like a 24-day stretch, that New Orleans game, because they have a bye after that. So maybe don't want that much rest all at once, but that's the way it is, and I'm sure they'll come out fresh. But listen to how the Ravens finish their their season. So again, mini-bye, at Saints Monday night, real bye, and then here, here's the rest of their schedule. You can't tell me they're not going to win the division. Carolina, Jacksonville, Denver, Steelers, Browns, Falcons, Steelers, at Cincinnati to finish the season. Maybe that game means everything. Maybe it means nothing. My hunch is Baltimore will have the division basically wrapped up by then and is either playing for seedings or the rest of everybody. Who knows? So, I always hesitate to make long-term predictions, but I think you can crown the Ravens and Roquan. It helps, of course, the AFC North champ. Um, I got two other little side Steeler nuggets when we return, and we will do that here in a minute. All right, we're back. Uh, quick sip of water here. And then we will... Last note on Steelers-Eagles. I know it was a forgettable game. But this comes from Warren Sharp's um, website. And I'm going to paint the Steelers in a better light. I've been kind of bragging on the Steelers' defensive coaching staff. Notice I say defensive, not offensive. The last couple weeks, I think they've done a tremendous job. And I think they did a good job against the Eagles, too, in their prep. And if you go back and listen to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday show pre-Eagles, this is exactly the stuff I brought up. They're an awesome team. They're hard to play against. But the coaching side of things, and here I'll get into it in a minute, was smart and the best way to do it. And the execution wasn't. 
a great team made great plays and the Steelers didn't, you know, in terms of defending the Eagles. But here's what happened. And side note, A.J. Brown's a tremendous football player. I've told you that. I'm sure you knew that already. But he's also not a great one-on-one go-up-and-get-it guy. That's not his strengths. He's not bad at it. We saw what he could do, you know, in this game. But leaving leaving him one-on-one downfield with a corner or a safety or both, as was the case a couple times, he's not Randy Moss. You know, I mean, he's more of a power, get him in space, crossing routes, middle of the field, after the catch, shrug off a corner, take it 80 yards. He does everything well, but going up and getting the football isn't his number one strength. But was on that day. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's the way it goes. You know, that, hey, we're going to put our, and I'm looking at this from a coaching perspective, is we're going to put our players in the best situation to win. I can't play the games for them. I can't tell Minka to take a little bit better angle or, you know, Hurts to make a little bit worse throw. All I can do is put them in position to win. So I'm going to read this verbatim from um, Warren Sharp, Sharp's site that I subscribe to. Because if you look at it through the lens I just presented, I think it makes sense to you. So going into this game, as I told you guys leading up to the game, Hertz was one of the most impacted passers against the Blitz. That's relative to his normal performance. So when blitzed, he was at negative 0.09 EPA per dropback. That's 22nd among quarterbacks. I know some of the EPA stuff you don't want to hear about, but he's 22nd amongst quarterbacks when blitz going into this game. Deep passing was also non-existent after so much of Philadelphia's offense was about throwing deep outside the numbers during Hurts' first year and a half as a starter. So for much of his career, throwing deep outside the numbers. But up until the Steeler game, only 7.1 of Hurts' throws traveled at least 20 air yards. That was 32nd. So the Steelers, you watch the tape, you prepare for your opponent, they don't throw deep outside the numbers. <laughs> well, you know. So the Steelers blitzed him 59.4% of his dropbacks in this game. A very high number. And I give the Steelers credit. They've really varied their blitz percentages throughout the season. Sometimes they're at 20. Sometimes they're at 50. You know, so depending on opponent is what they do with big with blitz. Tampa, Miami the last two weeks, not a lot of blitz. So if you're the Eagles coaching staff watching the Steelers, you're probably thinking, eh, they're not going to be a blitz-happy team. Well, they blitzed Hurts like crazy. They obviously knew what we were talking about, about him struggling versus blitz. So they blitzed him 59% of the time. On those plays, though, well, he was 12 of 19 for 163 yards and three touchdowns. Perhaps just as notable as the actual performance is how it happened with an 11.5 average depth of target. So, Again, his depth of target was really low before, but it wasn't in this game. 21% of Hertz's throws against the Blitz went for 20 or more air yards. Through week seven, before that, that rate was 9.4, but it was 21 in this game. Huge difference. He was able to push the ball deeper while getting the ball out quicker. That's on him. I mean, that's, to me, smart coaching by the Steelers that didn't work out. And... The other guys get paid too, and the team around they're playing against is brutal. First quarter, they blitzed them on nine out of ten first quarter dropbacks. So going into this game, on third downs, the Steelers only blitzed 21% of the time. 
that was 24th most in the league. But against the Eagles, they blitzed 57% of the time on third downs. And 42% of the, of the blitzing of six or more. You know, So not only were they blitzing the fifth guy, they're bringing six and leaving their corners on islands, daring Hurts to beat them deep outside the numbers, which didn't work. I, t- I mean, I'm sure you guys are over there like, Matt, what are you talking about? They got smoked. But it was still the right strategy. The, the results weren't there. And again, going into this game, only 9.4 of, of Brown's targets, A.J. Brown, were deep ones. I mean, a very small number. But in this game, 36% of Brown's targets were deep, 20 yards or more. Again, it didn't work. It doesn't mean the process was flawed. I think the Steelers coaching staff or the de- Steelers defense is in very, very good hands uh, in terms of coaching. I can't wait to see the Watt factor. But I just wanted to throw that out there. I thought you guys might get a kick out of it. You know, that, that, that that's the, I'm not a coach, but that's the thought process of preparing for your opponent. And this pro- opponent is one that was very short on weaknesses. But the players didn't make it work or the Eagles did take it any way you want. The plan wasn't flawed. The execution was. All right. That's a wrap folks. We will talk tomorrow.